Hey, this is Jessica Rice, and we're back with the second episode in a special edition of podcasts we're releasing in conjunction with our Real Love Sermon Series. As we talk about real love for the next several Sundays, we figured it's the perfect opportunity to also hear some real relationship experiences from some of the special people who make up Renaissance. So make sure you're staying tuned to this feed because we're going to be dropping new episodes every Wednesday. Today, we're going to get to hear from Jonathan and Kyra Daniels. They are newlyweds who got married in January 2021. And fun fact, they're the first couple in the seven years of our church to meet at Renaissance and get married. But more so than hearing about their married life together, Jonathan and Kyra share honestly about their pre-marriage lives. So dating as a Christian, dating in New York City, how to discern whether someone is right for you and how they progress toward engagement and marriage. I had some really good laughs during this one, and I think you're going to enjoy it and also learn some gems. So guys, here's Kyra and Jonathan. How are you guys? Doing good. Glad to be here. Mm -hmm. Yes, we are so excited that you guys are here with us. Uh, For those people listening who might not know, Jonathan, a.k.a. JD, and Kyra, uh, they are uh, Renaissance alum, as I like to call them. They uh, moved south to Memphis, Tennessee, and are flourishing down there as newlyweds. Uh, But it is so nice to have them back with us because Renaissance will always be family. And um, Mm -hmm. I'm also excited to just hear from you guys because you're both very uh, honest, transparent, reflective people uh, who also have really unique life experiences. So we're going to spend some time talking about what it's been like being newlyweds and how that's going. Uh, But I really want to spend a lot of time hearing from you guys about your pre-marriage days. So talking about you know, your formative years, dating, before you guys met each other, and then maybe what it was uh, like when you actually did meet and date and all those things. So one of the things I often think is most helpful when talking about relationships, and we're doing a lot of this in our sermon series about there's things that we've all been shaped and formed by, opinions that we have about how relationships should go, And a lot of that comes from our family of origin, uh, the people we were raised around. So I'm wondering if you guys could share a little bit about what the relationships you were exposed to. So your parents' relationships or other influential adults in your lives, what those relationships look like and how they shaped your thoughts and feelings about relationships. So I don't know, JD, you want to kick us off? Yep. Um, So... I would say that basically my parents and then my aunts and uncles were probably my biggest influence in terms of what relationships look like. And at least in my family, uh, a lot of times the woman is the one who wears the pants and then Mm. the husband is the one who does whatever he needs to do to live peacefully. (laughs) (laughs) Happy wife, happy life. Exactly. Right. And so that's that's kind of what I saw. Um, my dad is like one of the most diligent, like hardworking people I've ever known. Um, like he, we moved from England to Columbia, Tennessee, uh, whenever I was two or three years old, and he, he got a job in a warehouse. And up until yeah, up until he was what 70, 71, he was working in a like a non air conditioned warehouse, non heated mm. warehouse. Um, all those years. And honestly, he never complained, never did anything. Um, So I've always seen him as like the very, very diligent type. And then my mom was kind of the take charge, more like alpha type who kind of took care of the bills, took care of us, uh, like the kids, uh, me, my brother and my sister. And so that's kind of what I always saw was that the yeah, the female is kind of in charge. And then the husband like does what he needs to uh, make sure everybody is good, but it's a little bit more in like the background kind of role. That's so interesting. Yeah. How about you, Kyra? Yeah. So um, we have both like similar and different, uh, I think, backgrounds, upbringings. Um, I grew up in a single parent home. Um, and so I had a great relationship with my dad. 
but I think mainly growing up as my mom only child and in a single parent home had a great <laughs> impact on how I view relationships. Um, and I think similar to JD's upbringing, uh, my family, there were a lot of matriarchs. There were a lot of strong, independent women, but it wasn't because of like male passivity, um, which I think is represented in JD's family. And my family was more so because the men were like absent um, mm-hmm. because of, you know, various, re- various reasons. So women had to like step up in, in that way. That's probably like the biggest impact on relationships for me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So then as you guys grew up and came into your teenage years, your young adult years, how would you say you guys viewed relationships or approached them um, in those younger years? Yeah, so for me, I have a like really distinct memory. I think I was around like, I don't know, six or seven. Um, I remember, well, I guess I should preface this by you know, there's like a stereotype where in your childhood, young girls kind of have a vision of their wedding day. Um, they kind of like play with Barbie and Ken and dream about like their marriage in the future. Um, yeah, wearing a w- wedding dress and all that. Um, but at that age, like for me, I like kind of fantasize or imagine like me being like having my own career, um, being like independent, doing my own thing. And I remember going to my mom and was like, mom, when I grow up, I'm going to have my own house, my own car, and I'm going to have a boyfriend who comes visit me. <laughs> like <laughs> On my terms, when I say he terms. can come over. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep, exactly. So, um, yeah, I just think that's really, really interesting. And I think that kind of like continued, um, not only in childhood, but in uh, adolescence. Like I wasn't really um, dating a whole lot. I think I had my first like boyfriend-ish when I was like maybe 17. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't really super serious at all. Um, I was like always really studious and really quiet and reserved because I think on the flip side of that, I didn't really know how to, you know, be around <laughs> the opposite sex, being around mm. guys and interact with them and yeah, just navigate that whole like romance, dating, flirting situation. So I think it was more so easy for me to kind of back out of it and just focus on schoolwork. Mm-hmm. How about you, JJ? Yeah, so I came from a home where basically my mom kind of ran the whole dating thing as well. And it was like, you can date when you're married type situation. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, yeah, me, my brother and sister, none of us at least let my mom know that we were interested in anybody but it was always the interesting dynamic of she really wanted us to marry somebody of the same ethnic background whether it be Indian Pakistani whatever Um, and that kind of trumped everything and I was Mm -hmm. like I just remember being a kid and all of us saying the same thing like if you wanted us to marry a brown person we shouldn't have moved to Columbia Tennessee where we're one of two brown families. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't really know who I'm supposed to talk to if, if this is the case. And so we all secretly dated or did whatever as we were growing up. And so, um, yeah, but like, I guess I was so self-conscious in who I was being the only brown person hmm. and not knowing kind of what other people found attractive in a sense, if that makes sense. Like, I had had a few white girls tell me that I was cute for a brown guy and that kind of like messed with me. Like, what does that mean? Like, what does for a brown Mm -hmm. guy mean? And Mm so I honestly just focused on like school and basketball. I was on the basketball team, but I had such like low self-confidence that I couldn't even tell when girls liked me, um, which was really funny because I feel like I got to college and then like these girls from high school had hit me up afterwards and been like, you know, I I had a crush on you and this and that. And I was like, I had no idea. I just assumed that nobody liked me. And so I just Mm. kind of like focused on the things that I cared about. And that was it. Mm. That is so interesting. Yeah. I mean, as you talk about that, I think just we often don't think about all the different insecurities that can happen along the way for especially a teenager Mm -hmm. in terms of how you have an experience or an exchange with one person Mm -hmm. and that narrative or that thing kind of trails you for the next five years or decade or longer of 
the kind of person you might be mm-hmm. with or who you're attracted to or who is attracted to you. It's just, yeah. it's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is. I actually want to jump on that because um, I think like, I know we, so many conversations, like some people may be tired talking about race, but I think in this, you know, context, it is important. I think that's something that I can identify with as well, like being a, a black woman, um, just dealing with uh, beauty standards and um, not really feeling like comfortable in my skin as mm-hmm. a woman and like race having a lot to, to do with that. Um, and I kind of, you know, similar to JD, like heard a lot from, unfortunately, like black men, um, you know, kind of talk bad about like black women's beauty and and white men too. Like it was it was a variety, um, and I heard that a lot, you know, growing up in high school and even in college, honestly. Um, so I think that was a narrative too that also um, impacted me, and you know. Yeah. So I had like on one side, I had like the single woman, like do your own thing. And then on the other side, I had like the insecurity from like beauty standards and and race expectations and all that. Yeah. And with all of that going on, I can see how you would maybe say, oh, it's just easier to kind of fall back and retreat a little bit and not get caught up with all of the things. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So in your early dating years, let's say we're now in our late teens, early 20s. I know you guys are now, Kyra, you're 28, right? And JD, you're 31. Is that right? That's right. Um, So like in those earlier years, um, were you guys both Christians? Yep. How was that maybe shaping the way you were dating um, at that time of life? I had just moved to Orlando at that point after college, and I was working for uh, a church in youth ministry. And it was it was interesting. I felt like dating in the church um, was tough because it did feel like if you asked a girl out for coffee, she thought that you were asking for her hand in marriage at times. Mm. And then um, when you weren't necessarily interested in somebody, people would try to set you up, I guess, with somebody that you weren't even compatible with <laughs> and <laughs> be like, do you even know me? Like, why would you suggest that I go? Ask this person you, out? you both love Jesus. That should be enough, right? Yeah. And so... Um, <laughs> So yeah, so like, but like in my early 20s, um, I met my ex-girlfriend slash ex-fiance through church, actually. Um, And yeah, that's a whole nother story. Well, I mean, outside of the details of what happened in that relationship, I'm sure you probably learned a lot of things from that failed relationship. And I don't know if there's anything from that learning that you'd want to share. Yeah, I would say I learned to never try to put your best self on and hide who you really are. Like, I think that we all have good and bad sides. Like we have the new self that the Bible talks about, but that old self is also still being crucified. Mm-hmm. And I was I felt under pressure from myself, I guess, kind of how I grew up and then partially from my ex to have it all together. And so I hid parts of me, honestly, that I had never told anybody um, and that I had never addressed childhood traumas, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And as soon as everything ended in that relationship, um, all that stuff came up. And I remember somebody told me, like, you can only sweep things under the rug so long before you trip over it. And Mm. that's kind of what happened. And, uh, yeah, in God's severe mercy, I feel like that was a a huge, huge learning opportunity for me. And it allowed me to start becoming who I am today. Uh, Because Mm. I would say if somebody met me, somebody at Renaissance that I know now met me six years ago, I would probably look like two completely different people. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, And how about you, Kyra, as you're dating or not dating, whatever you're choosing, (laughs) how do you feel like your faith was kind of informing Hmm. how you were going about things? Hmm. I think initially, like when I first moved to New York City as a a young Christian, um, 
I think my faith, I saw my faith more so impact my career. At the time, I was pursuing theater uh, in New York and uh, wanting to kind of achieve, you know, big things on Broadway. Um, So yeah, I think I more so focused on that. And then when I started going to Renaissance, actually, I think that kind of um, expanded my, uh, I guess, openness towards relationships and how like faith is a part of that. Because I think like, I mean, I became a Christian when I was like 12 or 13. And I was always serious about God and my art. Um, but I was never really, I never really considered a relationship or like me being married or anything like that um, until I think I went to Renaissance and saw like in the congregation and then uh, on staff, like you and Jordan, Lester and Jamie, just the huge amount, I feel like, of like strong marriages and or even just strong relationships in general and how um, it's really clear in the pastoral leadership that you guys emphasize emotional health, relational health. And I think that was like a light bulb moment for me because I was like, oh, okay, well, like this is a thing that people want and maybe it's okay for me to want it. And I don't have to kind of, I guess, repress my desire to be in a relationship. I think for so long I did. Um, And I can, yeah, just accept it as like God's picture of the gospel, which was also like a really foreign concept to me. And so I, um, yeah, started going to Renaissance and, and yeah, just asking questions and observing people. Wow. That's amazing and beautiful. Um, I love what you said, because it sounds like before relationships seemed kind of like a burden or a hindrance or limitation Mm -hmm. um, and in contrast to the ambitions that you had. So Mm -hmm. being able to see how, um, you know, I think one way that I've heard people describe marriage is that it really is designed to be a sign and wonder that can point Mm. to God's gospel and love for us. And so that's super dope that you were able to see that Mm -hmm. in community Mm -hmm. at Renaissance. How about you, JD? The spiritual side? Yeah. And what was it like? I mean, Kyra kind of mentioned it, dating in New York City, because that's like probably a whole nother podcast series in and of itself. (laughs) Um, But when you moved from Orlando Mm. and you are rocking with Jesus and, uh, you know, approaching dating or whatever, um, what was that like for you? Yeah, uh, I would say it was very, very interesting because I had never been on a dating app at that point. And my first roommate at that time um, had just kind of encouraged me too because I worked a job where I didn't have an office to go into, so I couldn't meet people that way. So basically church was my way to meet people, and that was it. So he encouraged me, and it was interesting, and not in the good way. Um, I, I mean, I met a couple of cool people, but for the most part, it was just so tiring. Um and I think the the faith piece was like big for me. And it was interesting because people would put Christian on their profiles and whatnot. And like, I kid you not, like first dates, second dates, they would ask if I was celibate. And when I said yes, that was the end of the, like, that was it. They were like, yeah, we should probably just be friends. And I was like, that's fine. We don't have to be friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> we just don't need to talk anymore. We could just cut the whole thing yeah, off. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so I I kind of, I I felt a little bit of that. And then, I mean, even off the apps, I had met, I had met, uh, girls, but that was also interesting because you have no baseline for, you know, their spiritual beliefs and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I would match with, um, South Indians who call themselves Malus. And they're also, they have like a very, very like high Christian population because of Paul's presence in that part of India. Um, however many years ago and so I probably had like two or three encounters where it was like as soon because my name is Jonathan they assumed I was Indian and not Pakistani and so as soon as I told them I was Pakistani they were like oh yeah never mind like my parents wouldn't let that happen and I'll never forget one of them was like like we had kind of hit it off and she was like do you mind if I just like take a couple of days to pray? And I was like, Jesus is not going to tell you to be racist, but if, <laughs> if you need to go pray about it, like go for it. 
<laughs> so there was oh, also man. that. And then that that was the end of apps for me. I was like, yep, I'm done. Wow. So, well, that's a, that kind of brings up an interesting concept, too, because I know your mother's desire was for you to marry somebody yep. who had the same ethnicity as you. I mean, in being a Jesus follower, are you had you come to this place of, well, I think more important, like the identity that has to trump the Pakistani oh. ethnicity is Jesus follower. Like, what was that like for you? Oh, for sure. Honestly, it's, so I became a Christian like my sophomore year of college. And like shortly after that, I told my mom, I was like, look, I'm marrying a Christian. I don't care if they're white, black, brown, yellow, purple, whatever. Like, that's just what I'm going to do. And she's very, I guess, religious in a sense. Like, She'll misquote scripture to use it however she needs to at times, <laughs> but I could properly use scripture and tell her, like, it's not about race. It's about finding someone who believes the same, who has faith in Christ and is walking in that same direction. And so honestly, she couldn't argue it. So like she was kind of off my back from that point on. So I would say from like college, I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted in a sense. Wow, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And how about you, Kyra? I mean, whether it's about New York City dating uh, or even the conversation of ethnicity versus, you know, Jesus and where we find. I mean, I think we spend so much time these days on identity politics, on, you know, all the things um, mm -hmm. and categorizing ourselves and um, joining up with different tribes that align with who we are. So yeah. what was that like for you, too, as you're mm -hmm. thinking about being in a relationship and will mm -hmm. that person have the same ethnicity or maybe be different? Yeah, I think um, similar to JD, I don't know, I guess this is a minority thing, but I have the same like type of pressure to, <laughs> to um, marry a, like a black, a black man. Um, but I didn't hear it like a whole lot from my parents. So I'm wondering if it was like a, just a pressure I put on myself or media, or, you know, just like, you know, on social media, there's like, you know, so much attention to like black love, like hashtag black love. So maybe mm -hmm. like I was idolizing that a little. Um, but yeah, I, I guess regardless of where it came from, I did have that pressure. And I think that was kind of like my uh, default, like when I was maybe when I became more open to dating, that like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to end up with a black guy because that's just how it is. <laughs> right. You don't really question. Um, yeah, so I think that was kind of like my focus for a while. And I think that may have, in addition to like other things, we'll probably get into that, like probably like slowed my um, warming up to JD at first. So like my like awareness that he was actually interested in me <laughs> when we oh, met yeah. We're going to, we're going to get into that for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like, yeah, that aspect of identity, um, I guess was a, a, I guess a roadblock in some ways. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, so let's get into the good stuff, right? So you're both at Renaissance. Kyra, you're working on staff and doing all the things on Sunday mornings. JD, you come in. Uh, I feel like three weeks later, I'm hearing, JD, he's such a great guy. I'm like, <laughs> who is this person that everybody's talking about? And so how does it all go down? <laughs> how I know that there's like, maybe JD, you were checking for Kyra. She was not giving you any play. Like, mm -hmm. what is the story? So it was actually my first Sunday in New York. And I came to Renaissance and Kyra wasn't working for the church just yet, She, but she was serving. And so she was handing out like the bulletins or whatever as people were walking in. And I remember seeing her being like, huh, she's cute. And so after the service or whatever, I had asked somebody and was like, hey, do you know who that was? And they were like, I think it's Kyra, but I'm not sure. But then I feel like I, I didn't see her again for, I don't know, another Sunday or two. And then as I feel like I was trying to talk to her, because I would be serving with the, the sound and AV, so I'd be there early, she would be there early, so I would like try to just spark up a conversation. 
And Kyra would give me about two words max. And I was like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'll take that as a sign. Sounds about right. Yep. <laughs> and so this continued for probably about six months. And so I was like, you know what? I'm done. I- I'm done. Even though she doesn't know she's humiliating me, I'm done humiliating myself. <laughs> um, a man can only take but so many beatings. Okay. I mean, at the time, yes, I was just volunteering, like that first meeting, but I got on staff, I think like that fall of 2018. So I was like getting super focused in the job. Like, you know, I was working for, you know, as assistant, handling operations. You know, it was my first like ministry job. I was like, I'm not trying to mess this up. Like I'm handling events. Like I need to be super focused. I'm already naturally a very focused person already. Right. But at that point, I was like, I need to be extra focused. So yeah, there were times where, yeah, he did like talk to me, but it just didn't register to me that it was anything like of like liking or romantic interests at all. And I remember, um, I think it was like the Christmas party. So Christmas <laughs> of 2018, um, I was like walking around Um, just making sure all the food and candy and stuff was on the table. And JD was helping with photography uh, at that time. And he gets tries to spark conversation. So he comes over to me and he's like, Hey, Kyra, do you know, like the best way to like get people's photos? Like, it's a little awkward for me to just go around shooting. Like, you know, what's the best way? And I just like, I don't know, ask. And I just walk away. (laughs) Yep. And that's you when didn't I was have to do, You didn't have to do my brother like that, Kyra. <laughs> just shutting him down. Just shutting him all the way down. Okay. So it then what happens on. after, like, how did y'all kind of get past Kyra's coldness, basically? So after that, I was officially done. I was like, I'm not even going to talk to her. I'm just going to wave and keep it moving. <laughs> like, that's it. Um, but then that, uh, what was it? May of 2019, uh, my dad came up for an Al Green concert, and then we went to like a Yankees game that weekend. And so he came to church with me uh, one Sunday, and I was just introducing him to like whoever I, I like recognized or knew at the church or whatever. And so we're walking into the auditorium, going down the aisle, and I see Kyra. And I don't know what in me was like, I should introduce my dad to her real quick. But I wasn't, it wasn't a game. I wasn't thinking. It was just like, I was like, I'll just say, just say, hey. So told her he was in town for the Al Green concert. And so uh, she was like, oh, cool. And so then I want to say it was like two days later, I was traveling to like Western Pennsylvania, like the middle of nowhere. Um, And I had an email from Kyra (laughs) and it was like, hey, just wanted to check in and see how the Al Green concert was. And I just remember being like, huh. (laughs) it's because like behind the scenes I had actually so this was like April of 2019 so few few months after that whole Christmas (laughs) debacle Debacle. (laughs) (laughs) so in April I heard from a friend that actually JD liked me he thought I was cute and so I was like really I was like huh and so I was like, well, I guess I'll give him more green light now <laughs> in service. I'll give him more opportunity to like spark up conversation since I'm I'm cognizant of it now. And so um, that's why I, I followed up with him about the Al Green concert. Listen, look at that, JD. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you hadn't made that introduction. I know, right? I know. <laughs> I know. Which okay, actually, so- just a few weeks before that introduction, I actually, she, Kyra did a um, spoken word for Good Friday. Mm-hmm. And I remember like the next day I saw her at church and again, wasn't trying to get anything out of her, but I was like, Hey, like that, that shook my soul. I was like, that was amazing. And she just looked at me and was like, thanks. And I was <laughs> <laughs> I walked away with affirmation. I was like, yep, this oh is not the one gosh. for me. <laughs> this is so good. This is so good. I'm trying so hard not to giggle my whole way through this whole thing. So, okay. So you send that email, Kyra, and JD, you're like, oh, look at this. Mm-hmm. So you're mm-hmm. like, she doesn't hate me. And Correct. maybe, yes, I could actually talk to her a little bit more. Is that what happens next? Yeah, because mm-hmm. he asked for my my number to send me a video of the Al Green concert. 
And um, yeah, smooth, then we start. JD, smooth. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh huh. <laughs> and then we start, yeah, just just texting um, back and forth um, a whole lot. And I I think that's what like really struck me about JD um, is just you know I didn't really have a whole lot of experiences with guys, but and that I did have JD really stuck out in his communication. Like he was just you know very consistent in texting and. Um, intentional. And I really like, I thought that was super, really different. And I really appreciated that. That's awesome. So uh, you guys kind of start talking as the young folks would do, or at least I said in the 90s. I don't know if people say that anymore. But anyway, <laughs> um, you guys are communicating more regularly. And I'm sure it's kind of clear that you guys like each other, are interested in each other. I'm curious, though, I mean, getting to know one another or going into just dating a person, did you feel like you had a list in mind outside of loving and following Jesus? Did you feel like you had a list in mind? That's part Hmm. one. And then did you feel like the person you're engaging with, Kyra, JD, was meeting the things on that list? Or were you like, oh, this isn't what I expected and it's different, but it's cool? Or how was that for you guys? That's a really good question because I think a lot of people um, do have that list, like, and they they check people off. And I do remember creating a list, but at one point in my singleness, but I don't think I took that with me in like our dates, like in our especially our first date. I think because it was so like JD was so different than what I think I had in my mind. Mm-hmm. I love you, JD. <laughs> oh. But yeah, just so different than, uh, yeah, what I had in my mind or I guess what I thought that I needed, I guess. So I didn't even like consider bringing or taking the list to the first date because I was like, this is just completely new. Like, so I might as well just go like just go on to see what happens. Yeah. (laughs) And how about you, JD? Yeah, honestly, I don't think at this point, I don't think I had a list. I mean, with... The past relationship having had happened and thinking that that's what I wanted and then um, the online dating and trying to date in New York in general, like thinking that certain people would be good fits and seeing that that wasn't the case. Um, I was just kind of over the lists. I was like, I know this person needs to love Jesus. I know they need to be growing in their faith. I don't care what speed, but I know they just need to be growing. Um, and that's kind of it. And I mean, I think the on, the only other part of that list in terms of like the following Jesus part was like serving. I think that seeing Kyra at the church serving in different capacities, like even before she got the job, um, spoke a lot to her character without even really knowing her. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I think you're right that a lot of people do have these lists. And yeah, there's things that sometimes can't be articulated in place on a list and you meet a person and you connect in a special way and being open to what that might look like is really cool. So mm-hmm. uh, so you guys dated. Was it smooth sailing or <laughs> not? I, uh, I'll go first. So, so yeah, so from the time that I got her number, we went out like two, two or three days after that. We went um, to uh, Clove for our first date, actually. And it was pretty cool. I think we were there for like an hour and a half, two hours. Like the conversation seemed pretty smooth, so on and so forth. And so I was like, cool, like we'll go on a second date. And so that kind of kept happening. But honestly, I didn't even know if Kyra liked me. And like the only reason I thought she did is because she kept saying yes <laughs> whenever I would <laughs> ask her out. But outside of that, I I wasn't necessarily sure. And so, um, yeah, we had been dating for about two months. And I would say probably a little bit after a month, I was like, all right, if something doesn't start to change, like I feel like I'm just going to have to cut this off. But like to my fault, I wasn't really communicating that well enough with her. Because I knew what it felt like to have somebody try to change me in a sense. And so if she was just quiet. I didn't want her to feel like I was trying to change her. And so I didn't want to put that pressure on her. So I never, I didn't really know how or if I should communicate 
that like I need you to give me a little something more. Like I remember one time going to Riverbank State Park and it's probably about a 15, 20 minute walk from there back to Kyra's apartment um, to walk her home. And it was just so quiet. Like I was just looking at buildings and trees and trying to think of stories because I, I was like, I, she's not saying anything. And yo, <laughs> I mean, fast forward, like far down the road, I come, we come to find out that in my family, silence meant something was wrong. In her family, mm. silence meant everything was cool. Wow. However, I did not know that at the time. <laughs> that is so profound. That's, yeah. I mean, that's that's so profound. I mean, we talk a lot about preferences, which can mm. often become mm-hmm. standards for mm. all of us, right? And we don't we put preferences in a standard kind of category. And if you don't agree with my preference, it then becomes your problem. Mm. But in actuality, preferences are preferences. They're not. Mm-hmm positive, negative, they're just preferences Mm -hmm. and they're not the other person's problem. And so Mm -hmm. you have to kind of sift through and know a person, their family of origin, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. But that's really profound. So Kyra, you're walking and you're thinking, this is great. We're in the silence. (laughs) I see the buildings and the trees. That is so funny. Yeah, exactly. Good. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I don't think anything's wrong. Like I think you know, I'm going on great dates. This guy, you know, is really consistent in texting. You know, he's not ghosting me or anything like that. Right. Like, this is going great. Um, but then, yeah, on a, a lunch date, uh, he walks me back to my apartment. And, um, yeah, he just, dating just ended it there right then <laughs> in July. <laughs> Broke my sweet little Kyra's heart. It was hard. Like, when he, when I shut the door and he walked away, I was just overcome with a lot of emotion, uh, emotion that I have never felt before in my whole entire life. Um, mm. And I think I knew that I was like growing in in like with JD, but I didn't really know like the, the depths of my feelings towards him. And at that moment, I think it really hit me. And um, yeah, I just like went on a, a spi- emotional spiral. And I think at this time, um, Jessica, you and Jordan were, I think, on sabbatical. That's right. And so I was like, like, my spiritual mentors are gone. <laughs> like, right. what's happening? Like, I'm by myself and I'm dealing with this. And yeah, it was it was a hard, hard summer. And um, but I I took that opportunity to really try to grow in myself. Like I'm Enneagram five. So I like to like know things and research things. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And try to figure out like why things happen. So um, like I was, yeah, just researched more about like my personality type. And I learned that um, fives are in like the fear triad. So they, whenever they encounter fear, they embody it, like they take it on in their, you know, their physical stance. And I realized how that played out in, on our first round of dating. Like I was really afraid based on my family of origin, I was really afraid of relationships because it was still something that was quite foreign to me. And I was afraid of, you know, abandonment, disappointment. So in a way, even though I wasn't like, you know, really conscious of that fear, I embodied it and it kind of expressed itself in just my physicality, uh, my like emotional display uh, with JD. So I had this wall up. I was really guarded. And I didn't even realize, but it was just a part of my like uh, personality's default um, to act in. So yeah, that summer, like I did a lot of research on my personality, but then also like femininity and especially, especially biblical femininity and biblical mm. womanhood and just learning about like what is holy desire. And I think Dan Allender talks a lot about this. And it was actually a therapist that I learned from JD in our first round of dating. And so I looked more into him and um, he's a great like Christian therapist uh, who specializes in the area of like of sexuality um, and he's, he's brilliant. And he helped me a whole lot to realize that, um, desire is good. It's a gift from the Lord. And in it, you display God's passion for his people. When you display a passion for someone else and a curiosity to know someone as God knows us, uh, in Jesus. So when, when I like really learned that and, um, 
separated desire from lust because I think, you know, in my Christian walk, purity culture, you know, too, I always conflated uh, desire with lust. Like those were like two two things, like the same thing, essentially. Um, And that didn't help me at all with our first round because he didn't know I liked him at all. Like we didn't do no hand holding, no hugs, (laughs) nothing. And JD's like, why is she? Oh, Oh, okay. So I got a hug. That's it. Well, it was like a church hug. (laughs) (laughs) A hug in silence. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, that summer I just took a lot of time to reflect and yeah, it helped. It helped out a lot. I do just want to add one thing as well. In that first round of dating, I remember it was like our third date, and I literally told Kyra the good, the bad, and the ugly of like my past because I was like, I've hidden in the past, and I don't want to do that again. And I remember sitting out there by the uh, by like Chelsea Piers and like having this conversation with her on a bench and being like, she's not going to talk to me after this, but <laughs> I, I but like I actually see that this could go somewhere with her. And so mm. I want her to know everything so that she can walk away like with all the information. And so I was shocked whenever, yeah, she was still cool with dating me. <laughs> and I remember Kyra's a processor. So it was like two days later or something like that. We were hanging out and she was like, well, like, what made you want to tell me all that? Like, and I don't know if she was like skeptical of my motivations <laughs> of telling her all that. Like it was to like manipulate her to like, open up or whatever but I was like nah I just want you to know everything and honestly like that was huge for me because I was like I thought I was like broken beyond loving honestly at that point or like even somebody wanting to like date me if they knew everything and so Mm. like being able to like share that with her and her like honestly not look at me any differently was yeah it was like uh it was God's grace in in a huge way wow that's awesome Kyra, what do you think allowed you to just sit and listen and take it in and be non-judgmental in that mm-hmm. scenario? Mm-hmm. I think, um, honestly, just the gospel. Like at this point in my faith um, journey, I, I was, you know, coming to a real solid understanding of what, you know, Jesus salvation meant and what that meant for me, especially and in my sin um, through various like outlets, like you guys at Renaissance and Jordan's like um, gospel centered preaching. And then like my own study um, through, you know, different theologians. And yeah, at that point, I just, I knew, I knew the gospel like in and out. And I knew that um, like God wants you know, me and us as a church to, to display that to others. So like when he told me that, like I was, I was of course like shocked and a little unsettled, but you know, once I like let those emotions like come and pass, I, you know, measured those against truth um, of what Jesus did. And um, yeah, realized that if, if his grace was shown towards me, I can show that to, to someone else. Hmm. Amen. That's so dope. Okay. So, um, JD has broken Kyra's heart. Kyra (laughs) is doing research and learning about herself and self-discovery, which I think is so awesome and necessary for all of us. Uh, what happens next? So you guys come back from sabbatical and Mm -hmm. I come over for dinner one evening and, um, I think Jordan, I tell him all this happened and uh, Jordan's like, Kyra, it's obvious that you still like him. So why don't you just ask him out, ask him out to dinner? And I was just like, huh? Like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. What are you crazy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm, I can't do that. So, and I, and again, I measured that against what I learned about fear and I realized, okay, if I'm having this like fear-based reaction, uh, that means I probably should do something. Like I should face it if I want to grow. Mm. So, um, yeah, I didn't do dinner, but I remembered JD's, um, favorite rapper, uh, big crit or one of his favorite rappers, big crit. And I saw that he was coming into town, um, sometime, I think in November mm-hmm. of 2019. Yep. And, um, I buy tickets and one day I, I text him and I'm like, Hey, what are you doing Tuesday evening? at this time. And I don't tell him what it is. <laughs> I'm just, you know, very, very cryptic about it. 
And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm free. Like, what's up? I'm like, just, just meet me at this place at this time. Like, I got a surprise for you. So I'm actually with Wendell at this point at a bar watching a basketball game. Shout out to Wendell. And, <laughs> yep. And I was like, Wendell, I think she's going to have me jump. Like, what, what do you know? Because <laughs> we left out some more of the petty things that Kyra did whenever I broke up with her. Oh, snap. One of them I being, don't want to know. I- <laughs> one of them being her telling me not to talk to her at church on Sunday. <laughs> That's true. I did say that. Which is hilarious because that would cost me one word anyway, which I got back. But honestly, that that following Sunday, she she told me like she squashed it and we were cool. But uh, but yeah, when me and Wendell were sitting there and she only she sent me three emojis. It was a crown, a heart and a microphone. And Mm. so uh, whenever I, I told Wendell what the area was, we started looking at different like music venues and then we saw Big Crit was going to be there. And Crit stands for King Remembered in Time. So he has like the crown and a lot of his stuff. And so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, we, I had kind of figured it out, but I still wasn't sure. I'll let you tell the rest, Kyra. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, actually, at, at this time also, I'm trying to rekindle things with, with JD. But I have other friends who are telling me that I should keep my options open. So they actually encouraged me to get on a dating app. So I think this is my first time being on a dating app. Um, and I actually end up talking to this one guy pretty, not super consistently, but fairly regularly. And um, I'm actually texting him as I am on the train getting ready to meet JD for the concert. And mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, I, you know, I'm getting ready to, you know, pop off. I got to go to this concert, about to see Big Crit. And the dude's like, oh, no way. I'm going to be there, too. And I'm, my <laughs> no. heart just, like, stops. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, I can't handle this. Like, I'm, like, go from, like, zero to, like, <laughs> really with, like, two guys at once. Like, I can't do this. So I, like, I don't text him after that. Like, I don't even tell him, like, oh, yeah, I, maybe I'll see you there or whatever. I just straight ignore it. And so I head to the concert, um, meet up with, meet up with JD and, um, we walk to the, the entrance. By this time, I'm, I'm doing two things at once. I'm trying to like flirt with JD, like imply the like womanhood, like femininity things. That's right. That I've All learned. the things I've learned. Trying <laughs> to do on, them. Yeah. But on the other side, like I'm freaking out because I don't want this guy to like see me and then like walk up on me and then like it'd be a whole thing. So we get into the, the concert, find our, find our area that we want to stand, like right in front of the stage. And then I look up and the guy that I'm talking to is right in front of us. Like he's standing right in front of us and he's like looking around, I think probably looking for me. And then I kind of like hide my head and like duck a little bit uh, behind JD. And he's like, what's, what's going on? Like, what's the matter? And I just like cop up to the, to the situation. I'm like, hey, look, this guy I met on this app. I'm kind of talking to him, but not really. Uh, I don't really want to talk to him. Like, I don't want to deal with that. And JD, at first, he like jokes on me. He's like, oh, you want me to be your wingman? <laughs> Something like that. Because at this point, <laughs> it's actually not clear that it's a date. I, I'm in my head. There's still a possibility that we're just friends and she's doing something nice. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I was like half joking, half serious. And it was funny because he was no more than three or four feet in front of us. And so he <laughs> definitely saw her and knew she was there. So that mm-hmm. made it that much better. But we ended up moving to the side. And so yeah. he kept doing that whole like turning his head thing. And I was like, he knows you're here. Like he sees you. <laughs> he just doesn't want to come over and say anything. Yeah, but I was I was focused. Like I was trying to reconcile things with JD. So I wasn't I wasn't trying to be bothered. So but we attend the concert and it was it was really great. I think we had a great time. Mm-hmm. And um on the way back I saw that I was as my opportunity to kind of just disclose all that I had been going through. And I think on the train back, like I don't even wait till we get back to the apartment on the train. I'm like, look, I'm like, I've been going through what's felt like withdrawal for the last few months, like withdrawal symptoms. Like I've been nervous, like I felt can't really sleep. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I think it's just because like I really like you and I don't want to just be friends. Um, yeah, I want to just continue dating and and yeah, just move forward. Um, and that and I that whole like conversation 
starts on the train, but then like leads up to the doorstep. And I think JD is, I mean, you can probably say, but you just look like really shocked (laughs) at this point. Yeah, I think there was a part of me that knew that you weren't just trying to be friends, but there was also a part of me that wanted to just think you were being friends. And I remember being at the bar and Wendell being like, if you go to that, it's over. <laughs> and he, he was right. <laughs> he sure um, was. <laughs> but I think that my hesitancy was I saw how much she was hurt when I felt like we weren't even that intimate, if that makes sense. Like we built a really good and really strong friendship. But even like without the romance necessarily being there, I saw how hurt she was. And I was like, I really don't want to go into this again and then there be romance in it, and then it not work out, because I don't want to do that. So I just was like looking up at the the ceiling in the subway, (laughs) was just like, I don't know what to do. And so we we were just chatting, and um, I was walking, we got off the subway, and I was walking her home, and I was like, can I just get like a little bit of time to think? I was like, like, let me just think tonight and tomorrow, and like, I'll get back to you. And then she kind of started like, I think backpedaling a little bit. She was like, oh, well, like, I don't even necessarily know that I want a relationship right now. Like, I'm about to start a seminary. <laughs> I've never heard Kyra talk this fast before. <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, like, it's cool. And so I went home and I was like, there was just like this tug. And I was like, I know I need to just give this another chance. Like, I know she's a great woman. Like, I know I need to give this another shot. So mm. we went to FUMO this time. <laughs> and um, we ended up sitting there for like four hours and just chatting, um, and it was really, really good, and I was like, wow, this definitely feels different. Like, I felt her, her being more open. Um, I think, like, inviting is, like, the right word, um, mm-hmm. just, like, kind of, like, calling me into the relationship this time instead of it feeling like we're just kind of, like, both there but not connecting, if that makes sense, um, mm-hmm. and I would say, like, this time it felt that way. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and I remember all of that as it was happening and being very happy to see it. I mean, I remember you coming over for dinner, Kyra. And I remember Jordan saying, you need to do something to show that you like him. Mm-hmm. And I think th- the the crux of all of that is just that vulnerability is so necessary in relationships, yeah. right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. we love to hold our cards close to our chests, mm-hmm. um, but really you're not going to move the ball down the field sometimes if you yeah. don't just say, this is how I feel. I feel yeah. I like you. I want to be more than friends or I was hurt by the thing that mm-hmm. you did. I don't want to admit that, but this mm-hmm. is what might move the ball down the field. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, Jordan always loves to clown about how I didn't show him how much I liked him in the beginning. So I feel like he was kind of like trying to make up for some things that happened eight years ago. But um, yeah. I'm so glad for for how, yeah, you took that leap of faith and, and where things went. Yeah, me too. Yes. Yeah, I think, in, you know, like in our culture, we hear a lot that like men are trash. So when like something bad happens, the girl just like throws up the deuces and on to the next pretty much. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think, you know, I just want to like charge like, you know, women um, in our generation to just, yeah, when things happen, sometimes like things need to break off, but then other times maybe it could be an opportunity to like really like take a hard look at yourself and swallow your pride and just see what you can change for the better. Hmm. That's great. Um, so how did you guys go about kind of that courting phase, being engaged, leading up to marriage, and how did your faith kind of shape that period too? For everybody who is listening and follows Jesus and is thinking like, well, how does this actually work? I mean, I feel like it maybe should be different because I follow Jesus, but I don't exactly know what it should look like. What would you say? For us, I think we had a very unique experience because mm-hmm. our dating situation happened a lot during COVID. Like we made things official uh, January 20, yeah, 2020, mm-hmm. and really only had a few months of like normal dating where you go out on dates and stuff like that. I feel like the majority of our courting um, 
yeah, was just spending time at each other's houses and talking and, you know, just mm. watching nostalgic movies. <laughs> um, but yeah, most of it was like, yeah, sharing a lot of conversation um, over like, you know, takeout or whatever delivery. Um, and I think that like really sped up um, our like get to know you phase, um, like our growth. And I think we very quickly like realized a lot of ways where we connected in our values Um Mm-hmm. And yeah, just saw marriage was the kind of obvious next step. I don't know. I wish I had like more like I feel like a thoughtful answer to like all the things that I considered in like moving on to marriage. But at that point, I was trying to get out of my head when what I did. I did so much of that in the beginning. Like I was in my head and not in my body and my feelings. So I was like, this time I'm just going to like relax and just enjoy the experience and enjoy um, who's with me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just follow that. And it just felt right to just take the next step to to marriage because we already had that core foundation of our faith and yeah, our growth in that. Mm-hmm. That's dope. And for me, I was kind of like one foot in, one foot out in the beginning because, again, I was like worried about hurting her. So it's like I wanted to give it another chance, but I was also like now I was the fearful one. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and Kyra was being like different level flirty. I was like, who is this? Like, does, <laughs> does someone have Kyra's phone? <laughs> is this still her texting me? Let me FaceTime real quick, make sure it's her. <laughs> have you uh, been kidnapped? <laughs> <laughs> um, so like even though, yeah, we we kind of like rekindled things that November. Um, I remember her, one of her like best friends came and visited uh, in like December and she just straight up asked me in front of Kyra, like, what are you waiting on? <laughs> and I was like, good question. <laughs> I'll let you know when I figure it out. And then I actually remember talking to Jordan probably like early, early in January. Um, we went to Chipotle and I was just kind of telling them like, look, here's a lot of my baggage and I'm just afraid to put that on somebody. Mm-hmm. And I remember he mentioned, I don't know if it was from Tim Keller's Meaning of Marriage book or uh, what he was referencing, but he was like, sometimes God wants to use, you know, your significant other to help, you know, do the work that he's trying to do in you. Like there's something that happens in relationships and marriage that helps like that process move forward. And so I had never really thought about it in that perspective, because especially in Pakistani culture, even though you don't have it together, everyone acts like they have it together. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's in every culture, but it just feels like enhanced. And so I think hearing from somebody, especially like a man that I respect that's married, um, th- to say like, you do- you really do not have to have it all together. Um, and I'm not saying like that means that, you know, I can be out there doing whatever I want. But I think he knew that I had a repentant heart. I think he knew that I was trying to look more like Jesus and so I think he felt comfortable like saying that. And honestly, that's I think it was like a couple of days later, I ended up making it official with Kyra. Like we talked about it and we we're like, yeah, like, let's do it. And so then, yeah, we had those next couple months before COVID hit. Um, we got to make a trip uh, to Beacon, New York, which was a lot of fun. That was like literally the weekend before shutdown and lockdown all mm-hmm. happened. Uh, but it was like a great time. And then uh, we came back and... I remember it was actually a little bit, it was like maybe a month before that, around like Valentine's Day, um, somewhere around there. Uh, like I, I was just struggling with some things. And I remember being on the train, like kind of in tears, like Kyra going to break up with me when I have this conversation with her later. <laughs> I remember calling a, a couple of my friends uh, back here in Tennessee and just being like, yeah, like I feel like I have to have this serious heart to heart with her. And they were like, you you know you're committed to being honest so like just have the conversation um they were like from everything you tell us about her like everything's going to be fine like and so on and so forth so we ended up having the conversation i'm literally in tears at her dinner table she had just made the most bomb spaghetti from scratch and uh i think at that point like after that conversation i was like this is the person that i'm going to marry i was mm-hmm. like she genuinely makes me want to like grow in my relationship with God. She makes me more like Christ. Like I enjoy spending time with her. Um, like I enjoy seeing how she's like Christ and how she's forming into Christ. And at that point I was like, yep, I'm pretty sure this is the person that I'm going to marry. 
And then, like she said, lockdown happened. And yeah, fortunately, we only live eight blocks away from each other. Shout out to Trip and 140th. Um, <laughs> um, but it was just like that was a blessing in itself, just being able to have those conversations because um, like we were going on dates up until that. And then, uh, yeah, it's just interesting how when you don't have anything to distract you, just all the different conversations that you, that you get into. And for me, it was just fun having like friends along the way, like at Renaissance. Like there were people who knew both of us. And so I feel like in my prior experience, like when you're dating, not necessarily in secret, but when you're dating and like people who know you don't necessarily know the other person or get to be around them or get to see you two interact around each other and all that kind of stuff, I feel like that there can be some, or you can be like blind to certain things. Whereas like so much of our dating, I feel like was out in the open, um, even with COVID, because yeah. like we would hang out with Jovita at Kyra's place or we would hang out with Tripp and David at my place. <laughs> and so um, so everything mm-hmm. was was out there in the open. So I, I felt like yeah. that that was like very, very beneficial uh, for me, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that point, too. We talked about that this past Sunday hmm. at Renaissance about the the value of dating in community um, that so many times you keep that person to yourself and a year after you've been dating them, you bring them around and you're like, I love so-and-so isn't he, or isn't she great? And it's like, nobody wants to at that point say, (laughs) actually not really. (laughs) Um, So if that's cool for Mm -hmm. you, then sure, go on, boo, do your thing. But um, (laughs) it's great when you can in fact date with, um, friends, family, Mm -hmm. people who know you around who kind of can speak into that. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. kind of led into uh, our engagement uh, where we were already doing premarital before we were even engaged. (laughs) We we knew where we were going. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, we decided to go ahead and start that process with Lester. That's great. So now that you guys, okay, you got married in January, is that right? And Mm -hmm. so you are... 10 months, almost 11 months in. Uh, So what things from premarital counseling have been the most helpful in this almost first year being married? It's hard because there's so many things, Mm -hmm. but I think a couple of things that stick out. um, One is the idea of uh, loving the other. And Tim Keller talks about this in the meaning of marriage, Um, but how, like JD is so different from me, like in many ways, we have a lot mm-hmm. of things in common, but he's just so, yeah, he's so different. And I think the challenge in that, yeah, is loving someone who's completely different from me, but then it's also a blessing because you see how like God did that. Like God who is holy, like the definition of holy is like that it's just that he's so other, like he's so different from humans. He's so different from us and set apart, but yet he loves us like so perfectly and like, like, you know, no strings attached, you know, it is what it is. And I think that's been, that's something that I, you know, I learned that really struck me and I'm still like learning now and trying to grasp like the depths of that reality. But I think that's like a really big thing from, from premarital. Mm -hmm. And for me, I remember Lester would be like most people come into marriage like and if there's like a spectrum they kind of think they're in the middle in terms of what they know and he was like save yourself the trouble just like operate like you're right at the beginning (laughs) because you've never done this before like um yeah so like show yourselves a lot of grace as you're you're figuring it out and so um I think that that was really really helpful because as we do like stumble on things and like figure things out, like even as we figured out how, you know, the the silence thing, um, like figuring out our dynamics together, um, it just helps not, I think, hold anything against the other person uh, when we're we're thinking Mm -hmm. about that. Uh, But one of the things uh, that we realized about my family is that secrets are a huge thing, like they run Mm -hmm. all throughout the family. And so that was one thing that I wanted to make sure that I didn't bring into this marriage and so I, I never let anything like fester or stew because I don't want things to just become like unknown. And so mm. even when I'm feeling petty and don't want to say anything, I'll tell Kyra, be like, 
I feel real petty right now because I don't want to do this, this, or whatever the case is going to be. But just because I know I need to say it. And then typically when I say it, it like disarms me. And then we have a conversation and that helps us move forward. Yeah, I think so many people don't do that. I think so many people feel mm-hmm. those feelings. They're upset, they're angry, they're petty, and they kind of stonewall the other person. They stuff it down. Mm-hmm. They're like, I'm going to give them the silent treatment. I'm going to be over here while they're over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would do ourselves uh, uh, a service to kind of come clean and say, well, this is what I'm feeling. Obviously, you want to hopefully have a dab of gentleness uh, <laughs> sprinkled on top of all of that and not be mm-hmm. wild with your words. Mm-hmm. But um, how much better it would be when we just kind of get things out there on mm-hmm. the table and then you can actually talk mm-hmm. about them and come to some kind of agreement or path forward and and really just know each other better. I think yeah. that story you told, JD, of you being at Kyra's dining room table and talking about what was going on in your life that really brings tears to my eyes because I think that that so beautifully captures what marriage is intended to be uh, that we would be fully known and fully loved Uh, and so many of us I think stop ourselves from getting the love that we hope for because we won't let people truly in to know Mm -hmm. who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of reasons for that. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of hurt, you know, in all of our past that leads us to kind of hide and uh, shrink away. But man, when we get a taste of it, it is, as you said, Kyra, otherworldly, holy other, holy, all the things. So I, I love that. You know, it's pretty dope that y'all are the first couple in our seven-year history to meet at Renaissance and get married. So yeah. y'all will hold that title for a long time. And uh, that's super great. I'm so grateful for you all for, again, your honesty and reflection and love for Jesus and love for each other. Thank you. This was great. Yeah, appreciate you having us. Hey, it's Jessica back again and feeling very grateful to have heard from Kyra and JD. I love how they talked about different ways our past and our families of origin can affect the way we date and do relationships with other people. I also really loved how apparent it was that the relationship they enjoy today is a direct result of the internal evaluating and work they did as individuals. It was a really great reminder, too, that the failures we might experience in relationships don't have to be wasted, not if we're willing to admit we don't have it all together, to be vulnerable, and not if we're open to learning new ways of communicating. As always, if you found this conversation helpful, I hope you'll share it maybe with a friend who's fed up with online dating and needs a little hope for what could be, or with someone who could benefit from hearing about how marriage can and should reflect the gospel. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode, and we'll be talking about divorce, which is a topic that is often really taboo in the church. I think we'll learn a lot of different things, so I hope that you'll be here for that conversation. See you then.